Well, it is such a joy to be here. I think this is, what, three years in coming? Um, I had planned to be here, and COVID hit, and um, have been looking forward to it ever since, really looking forward to it, to see where Aaron Aaron and Brad were ministering. Um, Hearing that they had come here was very exciting, and it's just a real privilege to be with you all here today. And what I love about this church already in meeting you is there are so many long-termers. I mean, there are people who are new here, and then there are long-termers here, and we don't really have that in Dubai. We just celebrated our 50th anniversary, and we are, we've been there for 17 years, and we're almost the longest-term people there. There are a few people who have been there a little bit longer, but we don't have anybody who's been there, I don't think, even 25 years. So, because it's a very transient place. People come there to work, and then they leave. So, it's such a joy. And you long-termers, you're such a blessing to the church and to other women, to younger women. So I would just encourage you to plug in with each other and love each other well. And you older women, love these younger women. Teach them how to live the Christian life. Um, I bring you greetings from the United Christian Church of Dubai. And um, Brad and Aaron are dear friends. And we have prayed for you all. We've prayed for them. And I know they have prayed for us a lot. So it's just a pleasure to be here. Well, let me pray, and then we'll get started. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would show us wondrous things in your word tonight. And we pray for your Holy Spirit to speak through your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well put my glasses on. Um, I'm going to get kind of heavy right away. Um, You know, the last few years have been full of a lot of suffering for many, many people. They've been difficult years with COVID and with political division and even with the recent war that has broken out. These have been incredibly different, difficult years for people around the world. And for our family, these have been the most difficult years of our lives. My son knew that something was wrong even during high school. He's 20 years old now, but he knew that something was wrong during his high school years. But it took almost another year to get a, a, past high school to get a diagnosis, and it took some really difficult things to get a diagnosis and any kind of treatment that would help him. He has bipolar disorder, and it affects his physical, mental, and emotional well-being. There's no cure for it. He'll struggle with this for the rest of his life, to one degree or another, and we suffer with him in it, and we suffer for him. Um, Last year, we took a year-long family leave from ministry. My husband took leave from ministry. He loves UCCD. He loves his ministry there. But we love our son dearly. 
and it, it wasn't even really a question of whether we would leave Dubai for a while and come to the States and take care of him. So we left Dubai for about a year, um, and that, that year for me began in about the fall of 2020. Um, that fall, John and I had had two glorious months of being empty nesters, for all of you with little babies, I know you've got a ways to go, but you're going to really enjoy it. <laughs> and I'm sure some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, so we were empty nesters for about two months. And my daughter was visiting, and we came home from um, basically an anniversary trip. And we had been away for a couple days. And my daughter walked into the room with her face obviously in shock, and she told us that a friend of hers had called and Andrew was in trouble. He had tried to overdose and he had been put in jail on suicide watch, not in a mental hospital, but in jail um, all night long on suicide watch. And um, that's where he was when, when Ruth walked into the room and, and told us. So it was quite a shock, and so I traveled to the U.S. as soon as I could get through all the COVID restrictions and get there. Um, and a, a kind family from his church had taken him into their home, and um, they were treating him well, and he, but he was in a state, he had that night in jail, he had been up all night, probably previous nights he had not been sleeping either. And when I got there, he basically had not slept um, for days, maybe weeks. And he was in a state that I didn't recognize. So that's what I walked into. And he was in the home of this family, and so I booked a hotel down the road and stayed there, and I was up early in the morning and came to see him early in the morning, and then I would drive home late at night when I would try to kind of comfort him and get him to sleep. Um, I'm not sure that he really ever was going to sleep, but I would go home, sleep a few hours, and then I would come back to the house um, to, to just try to be there so he had a little bit of stability while we were working through this. I'll tell you, with the sleep deprivation, I really, I, I couldn't really read my Bible and I couldn't really pray. What I did was cry out, help. I mean, that was literally what I was doing day and night. I didn't know what to pray. I didn't have the concentration to really pray. So I would just say, Lord, help, help. We need your help. And maybe you've been in that state to one degree or another. Um, maybe you've had relational difficulties um, in your family and they've left you reeling. Um, desires in life that have been unfulfilled. Mental or physical pain that you've been through. The death of a loved one. Or perhaps right now, up to now, you've lived a relatively comfortable and easy life. But you know that Jesus promises trials in your life. In this life, we will have suffering. 
But we have a good and sovereign God. Nothing comes to us except through his loving hands. And he goes with us through the suffering. Troubled, perplexed, terrified. You know, this is the state in which we find Habakkuk at the beginning of his book. So I want you to turn to Habakkuk. It's one of the minor prophets. And the way I find minor prophets is just flip through until I find one. (laughs) Find the one I'm looking for. So go to the minor prophets after the major prophets. Major ones are thicker. The minor ones are shorter prophets. So open your Bibles to Habakkuk. Over the next two days, we will see a prophet who represents the people of God turn from a frantic cry of help to a quiet confidence in his Lord. We'll learn from him what we need for the trials that we're facing. So tonight we're going to cover chapters 1 to 2, verse 1. And we're going to see that we can cry out to our good and sovereign Lord and wait expectantly for him to answer. This chapter breaks down into three parts, and there are three things that we can learn from the prophet. First, we can be honest with the Lord. That's verses one to four. Second, it matters how we live. That's verses five to 11. And third, in our suffering, we can wait expectantly for the Lord to answer. That's verses 12 to chapter 2, verse 1. So first, we can be honest with the Lord. Let me read verses 1 to 4. And I'm reading from the um, Christian Standard Bible. The prophet, the pronouncement that the prophet Habakkuk saw, how long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Anguish and abandonment. God has not listened. God has not saved. Habakkuk cries out, asking, how long must I call for help? The prophet is actually speaking for the righteous remnant of Judah, of the people of God. They cry out, not under the burden of slave masters in Egypt or any other foreign nation. They cry out under the leadership of their own people. Their own people subvert the law and pervert justice. We see the wicked rule while the righteous retreat. And this is in Jerusalem, where the city, the city where God dwells with his people. Notice two things about Habakkuk's cry for help. 
One, he gets real with God. Habakkuk doesn't pretend that he's okay. He expresses deep emotion. He tells the Lord that he feels abandoned, and he details the problem. He does this not once, but he does it repeatedly. He asks, how long must I call for help? From his perspective, it seems like God doesn't care. Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? So he calls and he keeps on calling. We too can be honest with God. I'm not saying that we should get angry at God when things don't go our way. Anger at God is always going to be wrong. Nor should we accuse God of any wrongdoing. Habakkuk stops short of that, if you'll notice. But we can express real emotions, hurt, loneliness, anxiety, fear, and confusion. The deepest thoughts of our hearts. Of course, God knows them all anyway, right? It's not like we're revealing something to him. I had a miscarriage in between my two daughters. It was painful. And I knew that I would be able to have another child probably someday. But I missed and I wanted that child. I'm sure some of you can relate to that. And then I was pregnant again with, um, with a second child. And I had sharp pains and I went to the emergency room, worried that I might miscarry again. And a member of our family came in to see us, and when he saw my tears, he said to me, the important thing is that we handle this like Christians. And I knew what he meant. By that, he meant Christians put on a happy face and they pretend like everything's okay. Well, that's not what I see in the Bible. I see Job scratching himself with broken pottery and mourning over his loss and pain. I see David and Habakkuk right here crying out to the Lord. And I see Jesus sweating blood, asking God to take the cup from him. Christians can be real with their pain. God does not ask us to pretend that we aren't fearful or suffering. He wants us to come to him with our pain. During those weeks last year in the hotel, when I had a hard time concentrating enough to pray, as I said, I would just cry out, help. And I had been studying Romans 8 um, right before that, right before I went to the States. And it was really helpful to me. Verse 23 in Romans 8 says, We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. That's talking about the suffering of this present time. Like Habakkuk, we groan in it. At those times, Romans 8 tells us, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. As we groan in our suffering, the Spirit groans for us. 
He doesn't expect us to pretend. He feels the depth of our pain. And not only that, he who searches hearts, that's the Father, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That means that when we groan help, the Spirit and the Father are perfectly in sync, working all things together for our good to make us more like the Son. Romans 8 goes on to tell us that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we cry out to the Lord in our suffering, there's an unbreakable chain, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, anchoring us to their love, working for our good in the midst of the trouble. So go ahead and groan. Cry out like Habakkuk. How long, Lord, must I call for help? And be real in expressing your pain to others and your need for prayer. We have a slew of people praying for us. Around the world, really, Brad and Aaron are praying for us and other people. Um, But primarily, our church is praying for us. They prayed us through the last year. We haven't announced the specifics, actually, of Andrew's condition to our Um, I I don't announce the actual condition publicly, and we haven't announced it to our church because our church is made up of people from lots of different cultures, and some of them just don't have really a category for mental illness and, and things like that. But our elders know the specifics of the situation, and a dozen or so other people who are closest to us know the details, and they pray specifically for Andrew and for us in dealing with him. So do you open up to your church about your suffering? Do you have women that you go to? Are they praying for you? Do you have a small number of women that you can go to for prayer? When you're struggling with loneliness, when things aren't going well between you and your husband, when one of your children is having a hard time, Do you have a group of people that you can honestly pray with? And are you praying for your sisters who are struggling? They need your prayer. When a woman comes to you and complains, or she's not even necessarily complaining, but she brings her concerns to you, what's your knee-jerk reaction? Do you sympathize with her? Do you offer her solutions to the problem? Do you judge her for complaining? Or do you first take those problems to the Lord and pray with her? What an encouragement when we see prayers answered, right? When we or others are suffering, we shouldn't put on a happy face and get on with it. We should get real and pray. Two, Notice that Habakkuk knows his God is good and sovereign. This is an undercurrent that you're going to notice runs all the way through Habakkuk's prayers. We'll see these attributes of God more as we go through the book, but don't miss them even in this cry for help here. 
Habakkuk's question is how long, not if. He prays knowing that God will ultimately answer because he knows that he's just and he's good. He will not tolerate wrongdoing forever. And he has the power to do something about it. God's goodness and sovereignty undergird Habakkuk's entire prayer here. God will listen. God will save. Habakkuk's question is, when? And don't miss that Habakkuk calls God Lord. Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. He's a personal God. Habakkuk knows that the Lord is his God. He knows that this God treasures his people. These things should undergird our prayers also. We can cry out to the Lord knowing that he is our God. He's good in and sovereign over the events of our lives. We can be honest with the Lord. When you are troubled, cry out to the Lord. In the second part of chapter 1, we see that it matters how we live. Let's read verses 5 to 11. Look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded, for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. This is God answering Habakkuk. Look, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves of the night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come from distant lands. They fly like eagles, swooping to devour. All of them come to do violence. Their faces are set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings, and rulers are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress and build siege ramps to capture it. Then they sweep by like the wind and pass through. They are guilty. Their strength is their God. So Habakkuk was a prophet in Judah after the kingdom of Israel had divided. Judah had witnessed the fall of her sister Israel for idolatry and wickedness, but they did not take heed. Judah was engaging in the same kinds of evil that Israel had done, and they had forgotten that God was their true king. God had taken the people out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land so they could be a beacon of his goodness to the nations. They were to be God's representatives. They were to live justly with God as their sovereign, but they perverted justice and ignored the law. Moses in Deuteronomy 4 instructs the people about God's laws. Carefully follow them, for this will show your wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the peoples. For what great nation is there that has a God near to it 
as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call to him. And what great nation has righteous statutes and ordinances like this entire law I set before you today? Then Moses warns the people, when you have children and grandchildren and have been in the land a long time, and if you act corruptly, make an idol in the form of anything and do what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, angering him, you will quickly perish from the land. You will not live long there, but you will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be reduced to a few survivors among the nations where the Lord your God will drive you. Well, God's people were not careful. They acted corruptly and worshipped idols. They were unfaithful to God and unfaithful to one another. The kingdom was divided and God scattered the northern kingdom of Israel among the peoples. Now Judah would be reduced to a few and the same thing would happen to them. They would be taken into captivity and scattered among the peoples. God answers Habakkuk's cry, but not in the way he expected. He answers with judgment. God is doing something surprising. In verse 5, he says, be utterly astounded. You know, there is a chasm between God's wisdom and our wisdom. God uses surprising means to accomplish his good. Because he knows what is the very best in every situation. The people of Israel took God for granted, and they did not believe. So now their backs will be bent under the cruel nation with their own views of justice and sovereignty. Verse 7, they are fierce and terrifying. Verse 9, all of them come to do violence. The people rejected God's kindness So they will suffer under the harshness of a guilty nation whose strength is their God. Verse 11. The punishment fits the crime, doesn't it? They have rejected their Lord, so they will be crushed under another ruler. And this really did happen. The Chaldeans, a.k.a. Babylonians, destroyed Judah, raising the temple and taking the people captive. God chastened Judah. He disciplined them. It really matters how God's people live. So what does this say to us in the church today? It tells us that it means something to be the people of God. We are saved only by God's grace, but the grace that saves us enables us to live increasingly holy lives. The church is to be a beacon to the nations. It is through us the nations will hear not about the law of Moses, but the law of Christ, the law of love. It is we who have the Lord our God so near to us whenever we call to him. So it matters how we live. Being a Christian unites us to God and his people. Our lives reflect him on him and each other 
in the church. So we should take baptism and church membership seriously. Baptism is the sign that one belongs to Christ. A believer in Christ goes public in baptism. Baptism is for believers. But have you also considered that baptism is not just for the individual believer, but also for the local church? Erin made this so clear in her book. You have to read this book, and you're going to read it and think, oh, Carrie just plagiarized Erin, um, because this, she, she gave me the words to articulate this. Um, so I hope you'll read it and think deeply about these things. When an individual goes public in baptism, the church goes public too. The church affirms the individual's profession of faith, puts a stamp of approval on her, welcomes her into their family. That's why baptism is linked to church membership. We don't just baptize people into the world. We baptize them into a local body of believers. A person commits to the church and the church commits to the person. That's one reason we shouldn't be quick to baptize. A person who is baptized and walks away from the faith makes Christ and the church look bad. It's like an anti-witness for Christ. Church discipline goes right along with these two, with church membership. Look at what God tells Habakkuk he is willing to do to purify his people. He raises up a fierce, powerful, and swift nation to discipline them. God will not be mocked. His name will be made great. He will not allow his people to continue to stray from him. And we who bear his name should protect it. We should hold each other accountable in the church. We should bear one another's burdens. We should love each other, correct each other, and rebuke each other in love. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. God cares about our witness to his character. He is just. He will not be mocked. We can trust our God to be faithful to his promises, either for good for those who repent or for retribution for those who remain in their sins. It matters how we live. The third thing we, live, we learned from the first chapter of Habakkuk is to wait expectantly for the Lord to answer. Let's re read Habakkuk's second prayer here in um, verses 12 to 17. Are you not from eternity, Lord my God? My Holy One, you will not die. Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them to punish us. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? You have made mankind like the fish of the sea, like marine creatures that have no ruler. The Chaldeans pull them all up with a hook. 
catch them in their dragnet and gather them in their fishing net. That is why they are glad and rejoice. That is why they sacrifice to their dragnet and burn incense to their fishing net. For by these things their portion is rich and their food plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slaughter nations without mercy? In verse 5, God said Habakkuk would be utterly astounded, that he wouldn't believe the answer to his prayer, and Habakkuk was astounded. To summarize the dialogue between the prophet and God, Habakkuk began the book by saying, God, why don't you care about the wrong that your people are doing? Why don't you do something about it? To which God replies, I do care very much. I will do something. I am sending the ruthless Babylonian army to conquer them. To which Habakkuk replies, the Babylonians, not them, they're worse than we are. He was shocked and perplexed. How could the holy God use a wicked nation to accomplish his purposes? Verse 13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil, and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why would God stand by and allow one who is wicked to swallow up one who is more righteous? God does not always act as we expect. Habakkuk is perplexed, but he remains confident in the Lord. Notice this. He still calls God my holy one, my rock. And he recognizes that God appointed the Chaldeans to judge Judah. You destined them to punish us, Habakkuk says. The Lord is sovereign. He not only allows bad things to happen, he ordains them. How can this be? Habakkuk questions God in his perplexity, but at the same time is certain of his character. He has a settled confidence in God, even here. Um, And notice that he uses the word my three times here. My God, my Holy One, my Rock. He is praying to a God he knows and claims as his own. He knows that God sees, his pure eyes watch, and he cares. He knows that God is good and sovereign, even if he doesn't understand God's plan. So he boldly asks the question, Why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? And you know, Habakkuk never really hears the full answer. But this side of the cross, we know it. There is one who was silent in the face of the greatest evil. There is one who endured the injustice of wicked men. When Jesus suffered and died at the hands of lawless men, it was a horrible miscarriage of justice, the worst miscarriage of justice. But it was actually something so much more. 
He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus remained silent as he was swallowed up by death, laying down his life for the sins of his people. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. But the grave could not keep him. He is the Holy One from eternity, our Lord and our rock. Because of him, his people need not despair. We can cry out to him and wait expectantly for his help. That's what Habakkuk does, even as he waits for the Chaldeans to come with their dragnets. Look at verse 2-1. And I'm going to read to you from the English translation of John Calvin's translation of this verse. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. I live in the country with the tallest building in the world. It's a majestic beautiful building. It's a tower of pride, and believe me, they do brag about it. And people go there to enjoy the view and to live in luxury. It's a luxury building. It has luxury apartments and luxury restaurants. That's not Habakkuk's tower that he's going up on. He, his tower is a fort. And we also have forts in the UAE. Forts are different than the Burj Khalifa. They are dusty, uncomfortable cement structures. They're not beautiful. In ancient times, they didn't go there to enjoy the view. They went there to watch and be ready for an invading army. Notice the military language here. He's vigilantly watching. He's not falling asleep. He's standing guard and expecting action. He waits for God to answer. He waits for God to speak. This is interesting language, though. Did you notice? He watches to see. We normally use our ears to hear when people speak, right? The prophet is straining all of his senses to be wholly attentive to God's word. This must be true for us when we're going through perplexing and difficult times of trouble. We need to hear God's voice and be diligent, looking out for distractions. When we're in pain, it's so tempting to distract ourselves with Instagram or Netflix or food. We have to work to focus our minds on the wisdom of Scripture and the reality of God's goodness in the gospel. Listen to hymns or good online preaching. Ask a sister or brother in Christ to speak the gospel to you, to tell you what's true about God, because sometimes we can't even think about it. Read a good book on God's character. See God's power. Hear of his work. Taste of his goodness. Feel his love. 
Use all of your senses to focus on him, particularly when you're suffering. There's a sense in which using our eyes and ears to hear God's word is even truer for us than it was for Habakkuk here. We hear God's voice and taste his goodness with our eyes when we read his word, when we read books like Habakkuk. Don't look for God to speak through a sign or a peaceful feeling. Go to God's word. But let's not miss something else here. At the end of verse 1, Habakkuk also, this is why I read you Calvin's um, translation here. Habakkuk is also waits to see how he himself will answer God's reproof or correction. Um, let me see if I can find that, that verse again, because it's a little different in here. Um, it's, he says, what I shall answer when I am reproved. He's expecting God to explain, hey, you're wrong here questioning me about my justice, right? So let's not miss that. Isn't it interesting? The prophet knows that he doesn't fully grasp God's purposes in what he's doing, and he's anxious to learn what he doesn't know. God works on us while we wait. Times of waiting are times when our sin comes to the surface of our lives. So use that time. Identify the way you've believed the lies of the world. Identify the idols that you're worshiping. How has your strength been your God? What security have you sacrificed to? Identify these things and then oppose them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And let, let others in your church help you do that. Don't hide from your church. Ask sisters what they think your reactions to the stressors in your life tell you about your heart. You know, when we have emotional reactions... It's telling us that something's really important to us. And it's important to examine those and trace them back and see if there's an idol in our heart that's kind of being pressed on that's causing the strong emotional reaction. Let other women apply, and, and pastors and elders, apply the scriptures to your struggles. Link arms with others to fight your sin. As we wait in adversity... There's a battle in our mind to conquer doubt and put our hope in God. As we set our minds on Christ, looking to heaven, focus our thoughts on what we know to be true about God, walk by faith, not by sight, God shows us more of who he is and makes us more like Christ. We learn how to not give up hope but entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. That's from 1 Peter 4. We learn how to wait expectantly for the Lord to answer. So Andrew's, our son's illness, is not curable. At times he may do better. At times he may do worse. In the meantime, we wait. We cry out to the Lord 
and we remind ourselves and we remind Andrew that God is good and sovereign even over this. And we wait expectantly for the Lord to work in our lives and ultimately make everything right because he will do that. He's already shown us in Jesus. He started it. You too can wait expectantly. God did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Because of Jesus, we can cry out to our good and sovereign God and wait expectantly for him to answer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are such a good and sovereign God. And we pray that we would be women who, when we go through suffering, are putting our eyes on you, are digging into the scriptures, and are grasping every bit that we can to make us more like your son. We pray that we would look to him in our suffering. We pray that we would know that you are with us. And we pray that we would know there's purpose in it, Lord, and that you will one day bring us home where there will be no more suffering or pain. And so, Lord, we pray that you would write these words on our hearts. We pray that we would have the heart of Habakkuk and that we would cry out to you in our suffering and pain, and we would wait expectantly for you to answer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.